you to, to James. Um, so we have been walking through this book for uh, a while now, and we're coming up here on the final uh, chapter of this letter that James writes to Christians who have been scattered due to persecution. Uh, and as you're turning there and getting settled, I'd just like to thank everybody who uh, stuck around and helped make uh, Hot Dog, it's a Hot Dog Sunday Sunday, uh, a thing last week. And so uh, Michael Rico was cooking. That was for you, Wayne. It was. Uh, Michael Rico cooked us some food. Danny was on Daniel's Grill. Um, we had all kinds of help setting up, setting up tables and chairs and getting everything out. And uh, thank you for everybody who stuck around. Thank you for everybody who helped make it uh, possible and for helping to clean up. It was a really fun afternoon, a really great day. Um, and uh, I look forward to doing it next year. Uh, and so uh, thank you again for everybody who helped make that happen. So um, as I said, we're going to be in James 5 this morning. And we have seen multiple times, if you've been with us throughout this study, multiple times in this letter, James has addressed either wealth or uh, wealthy people. In the opening chapter, in chapter 1, he wrote about the lowly and the rich and comparing those two and the temporary nature of this world and talked about how those who are rich, you might be rich now, but life is short. And so your riches are not all that impressive considering how long life is on this earth compared to eternity. In chapter 2, he wrote about showing partiality, and he warned the Christians about those who would come in, and at the time, uh, and really even still today, those who would come in finely dressed with great jewelry would get the most prominent seat in the temple, and they would get everything kind of taken care of for them. And God says, do not show partiality. Do not judge someone based on their outward appearance, as we just heard in 1 Samuel. That is not our role or place to judge others. That is the role and place of God. And so here in this letter, as this letter is beginning to wind down, uh, James is going to once again go back to this idea of wealth and finance. And it's here we find really the harshest address to those who have acquired wealth. Um, so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about money. And uh, I know church and money, it makes people uncomfortable. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. We can talk about it. Uh, we're all grown-ups. And, I mean, I'll just this is not a sermon that's like, Okay, and so I'm going to talk about money and guilt you into giving more to the church. That's not the plan here, okay? And number two, this is not about if you give, then God's going to take care of you. God's going to bless. God wants you to give to church so that God can bless you, right? God is not a slot machine, right? It's not, okay, I put money in the basket, so then God gives me blessings, right? That's not what we're talking about here. What we are talking about when it comes to money, when it comes to wealth and finance, what we are talking about here in this passage is the same thing we've been talking about for the last four chapters of James. What is your heart? What is your motivation? Why do you do what you do? And what is your heart when it comes to wealth and privilege? And so I want to look, what we're going to do is before we even get into James, I want to look at some kind of just give a, a bit of a, a big picture idea of what the Bible has to say about money and finances and give us kind of a foundation for what James has to say. Uh, and then we'll get into James 5. So we're going to start kind of big picture and then we'll kind of zero in and get to James 5 eventually. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, jump in and get to work. So please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of community, the gift of relationship, the gift that you've given us to make us not uh, want to be alone, not to be alone, but to get to do this life, get to follow after you as a, as a community, as brothers and sisters encouraging each other, challenging each other, building one another up. God, even this chance for us to get together on a Sunday, uh, to have a building that has been taken care of for generations, uh, to have a place where we can gather uh, and know that this is a safe space for us, to know that this is a place where we are going to uh, find rest and care and find 
um, your people gathered together, worshiping you. And God, we come here on Sundays for lots of things. We come here for rest. We come here for worship. We come here ultimately to hear and engage with you because we know we're going to hear your word read. We know we're going to have the opportunity to do things like this, like pray and to, to sing and to connect and to just have some time in our week where we are with you and spending time hearing from you. And God, we know that you have something for us this morning. We know that you are the God who's in control of all things at all times, meaning you got us up this morning and not just so that we could get through another day, not just to get us to tomorrow, but you gave us today for a reason. God, you have work you want to do in our hearts. You have work you want to do in the midst of this community. And so, Lord, help us to set aside any distractions. Help us to set aside any things that might keep us from hearing what it is that you have to say to us. And, Lord, as we've seen in James, help us, God. We need your help to not just be hearers of the word, but doers, to respond with what you are calling us to. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and the, the light that it is to us. Help us to understand, God. Help us to hear and respond to what you have for us today. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, uh, I'm going to read James 5 just to give us a, a little bit of a, a taste of where we're going to be, and then we'll, like I said, zoom out and kind of look at Scripture uh, a little bit more. So James 5 says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver has corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I told you, man, James, his tone took a turn there in chapter 4, and he this is some real Old Testament-esque kind of view and uh, addressing, but we'll get there in a little bit. So zooming out a little bit, what does the Bible have to say? When it comes to money, what does the Bible have to say? And I think um, some of us, when we hear money and Bible or money and church, uh, for people who grew up in church, you're going to maybe go to 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Um, but in fact, the Bible does not treat money as a bad thing or an evil thing. Even that verse it is not that money is the evil thing, it's the love of money, the desire, the lust after money is the, uh, the root of all kinds of evil. Money in itself in scripture is not seen as a punishment. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Proverbs 22.4, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Oftentimes in scripture we see that God will, we know that God blesses and sometimes in scripture says God will bless us financially. Both of these two verses in Proverbs, there's two things. Again, money is a blessing, and it's positive, and it's also from the Lord. Your money, your wealth, your riches is not actually yours. It doesn't actually belong to you. It is God's, and any gift, any blessing that you have gotten, you have gotten from him who is in control of all things at all times. But scripture will also tell us that, yes, wealth is not a bad thing. It even can be a blessing from God, but it can also come with temptation. Sticking around in 1 Timothy 6, it says in verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, 
nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Paul is writing to Timothy and telling him as he is leading the church, and he says, you're going to have rich people in your church. Tell them not to be haughty. Tell them not to become proud and arrogant, because with wealth comes a temptation towards pride and arrogance, to think too highly of yourself or too low of others, because money brings with it influence and relationships. No matter how shallow those relationships may be, we have to be careful of falling into the temptation that presents itself when it comes to money and its influence in our relationships. Ultimately, what Scripture will say as you continue to look at the broad scope of money and wealth in the Bible is that contentment is, should be the desire of Christians. Paul had a lot to say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 about it. He says in verse 6 and 7, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Paul also speaks about being content in Philippians 4, 12, and 13, which some of us might even have memorized. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, we see it. On all kinds, we see people like writing on their arms when they're running a marathon, or we see it on like just all kinds of weird places. It has nothing to do with like trying to overcome obstacles. It's about being content in life. It's about saying I can be as high or as low as life would have it. It doesn't matter because my circumstances are not going to define my joy. They're not going to define my relationship with God. My circumstances are what they are, but ultimately my contentment is found in God. The great Dusty Rhodes once said. I've wined and dined with kings and queens, and I've slept in alleys eating forks and beans. It doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you find yourself. Your financial standing should not be, cannot be connected to your contentment, because money can be fleeting. It can come and go. Proverbs 23, 4, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. The key word there in that Proverbs is toil. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Toil is to grow weary, to exhaust yourself, to physically and emotionally wear yourself out. Do not beat yourself up trying to earn wealth, Scripture says. Know when to rest. Know when to stop. Because wealth is temporary. It's here and then it's gone. It sprouts wings and flies away. The desire of the Christian should be to be content in what we have and what God has provided for us. But let's be honest, I mean, contentment is really hard today. The average American is exposed to roughly 350 ads a day. Scrolling through your phone, listening to a podcast, pumping gas, watching TV, billboards, signs on windows. You are exposed to at least 350 ads a day. And what are they saying? About 350 times a day, you are being told you need new clothes, you need a new phone, you need a new car, that this lipstick, that beer, go to this dispensary, eat at that restaurant, go see this movie. And whether or not it's overtly stated or just assumed, each of those ads is telling you that because you don't have these things, because you're not experiencing these things, your life is lacking. You're told 350 times a day, you are told your life is missing something. To pursue being content in this world is a daily, moment-by-moment battle. Overhearing over and over again, you're missing out. You're losing out on stuff, on what man can provide for you. 
it's all the more reason that we need to com combat this false narrative with the truth of Scripture that says, no, we find our contentment not in these things that are failing and fleeting, but rather in the eternal presence of God. And as we look at what Scripture has to say and we look at what about being content in God, what we'll see over and over coming out very quickly is that God cares for the poor. God has a heart for those who are weaker in the midst of the community. When God gave the people the law over and over again throughout it, it's laid out that the law was given to the nation of Israel, say, this is how you're going to be a light to shine and, and reflect my presence in the world. This is how you're going to represent me in the world. And one of the ways you're going to do that is to address the poor among you. In Leviticus 19, it says, When you reap the harvest of the land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. God was setting up. He says, look, you're going to harvest. You're going to gather these things. You need to leave stuff on the edge. You need to leave stuff because there are those who can't afford land, who can't afford to harvest, and they need to be taken care of too. And so if you are going to be my people, you are going to help take care of those people. And it's this law here in Leviticus, 9, uh, Leviticus 19 that plays itself out in the story of Ruth, that she's out gleaning one day. Be taking advantage of what the law says, and because of that, she meets Boaz, and because of that, they get together, they have kids, we get to King David, we get to Jesus, because God cares for the poor, because God set up a law that said, Israel, you are going to be my people, you are going to be generous, and you're going to care for those who are weaker among you, and because of that, we get the, through the DNA, we get through the bloodline to Jesus, ultimately caring for those of us who are poor, for all of us who are poor in righteousness, God sent one who was rich in righteousness to give to us to care for us. Deuteronomy 15, 7, if among you one of your brothers or sisters should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brothers and sisters, but you shall open your hand to them and lend them sufficient for, what it, for their need, whatever it may be. Psalm 83, 2, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct, op 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 correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Over and over, when God talks about wealth, when God talks about being able to take care and provide for others, he says, yes, provide for you. Yes, I will take care of you. But you also, as I take care of you, you take care of others. Right? We say it all the time here, right? When we are saved, when we accept the gospel, when we put our faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we are saved from the wrath of God to be a blessing to others. That's the heart of what God has for us. And as that heart bleeds, it shows itself even through our finances. God has a deep compassion for those members of society who are powerless and taken advantage of. And he made those people in his image and likeness, and he cares for them deeply. Money can buy a lot of things, but it cannot purchase the favor of God. We've talked a lot about in James. James is very much influenced by the book of Proverbs. He's also influenced greatly by the Sermon on the Mount, by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, James is ref and he pulls references from that sermon over and over again. Matthew 6, Jesus speaks of finance and wealth. And I want to read that section to you, and, and as, as you hear it, I want you to just pay attention for words that, you already, that we heard already from James 5. Pay attention to some things you might have already picked up. Jesus in Matthew 6, 6 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Wealth is not the issue, according to Scripture. It is the desires of our hearts that are perverted, and money gives space for those desires to grow and gain more and more ground in our lives. It's not bad to have money. It's not even bad to want to have money. But when it comes to wealth and us as the followers of God, there are questions we need to be asking ourselves all the time, regularly. Why do you want this? How do you plan to get it? What do you want to do with it once you have it? And so with those questions in mind, let's, let's get to James 5. That's maybe the longest introduction into a sermon ever, but now let's get into James 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So right off the bat, some of you might hear that and say, well, I'm not rich. This doesn't apply to me. I don't have to pay attention. I don't have to listen to this one. This is for those rich people. Globally speaking, you are a fat cat, regardless of what kind of wealth you have right now. From World Vision, it says poverty is a state of uh, poverty is a state in which people or communities lack access to resource and basic necessities needed to live a healthy and dignified life. Living in poverty means not being able to afford medical care or access to basics such as electricity, shelter, and food. Improper nutrition can cause stunting and wasting, permanently impacting children's development. Poverty in countries lacking access to clean water and sanitation lead to the spread of preventable diseases and unnecessary deaths, particularly of children. The International Poverty Line. Anybody know what that number is? $2.15. $2.15 a day, according to World Vision. That comes out to $784.75 a year. In America, that number is higher. The poverty guideline for a family of four in America is $30,000, living off of basically about $82 a day for that family of four. For an individual in the U.S., it's $14,580. That's about $40 a day. According to World Bank, about 9.2% of the global population lives in poverty. That's 719 million people living on $2.15 a day. In America, 11.6% of the population, 37.9 million people live in poverty as of 2021. So before you immediately hear this passage and say, I'm not rich, consider these numbers and realize that you might as well be wearing a top hat and a monocle right now in comparison to those around the world. We've mentioned this tone change that James has here that takes place in chapter 4, and James has gotten a lot harsher in what he has had to say these last few chapters, these last few verses. But the way James writes here, his lack of addressing the brothers or the family of God lead many to believe and lead many to interpret these verses in chapter 5 as he's not writing to the Christians. He's not even writing to rich Christians necessarily, but rather he is writing to the wicked, to those who have acquired their money in unrighteous ways and use it in unrighteous ways as well. 
So why in the world would it be here? As he's been addressing Christians, addressing the brothers and sisters about how they're supposed to respond, how they're supposed to live out their faith if scattered around in unbeliever territory, why would he put this in here? Why does James include this? He goes kind of Old Testament with it. Old Testament prophets have similar sections in their writings where they would address not just the Israelites, but those people who are doing wicked in the eyes of God. You can look at Isaiah 13 through 19, really, as a, as a um, kind of blueprint of this. They would lay out the judgment and wrath that would inevitably end up falling on those against God. And this was shared with the Israelites. The prophets would share that. James is sharing that to let them know that God has not forgotten, that there will be justice. John Calvin, uh, he has an interpretation of this. I really like what he wrote about this. It's that James has a regard to the faithful that they, hearing of the miserable end of the rich, might not envy their fortune, and also that knowing that God would be the avenger of the wrongs they suffered, they might with calm and resigned mind bear them. We'll come back to that quote later, but basically what Calvin says is that this is here to remind us that God is in control of all things, that he sees all things, and that justice will prevail. So continue to endure, Christians. In verse 1 and, and 2 and 3, James talks about all of these things that people have acquired. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Everything you have, all the things that you have acquired, that you've put so much stock and importance in, it is falling apart. Your riches have rotted. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your precious metals are falling away and corroding. This falling away, this moth-eaten jacket, all of it is evidence against you. Why do things rot? Why do clothes get eaten by moths? Why do things rust and corrode? Because they haven't been used. James is calling out the rich for not being rich not James is calling out the rich not for being rich, but for their lack and use of their riches. You have acquired all of these things. You've stored them up good for you, but what are you going to do with it? You let it sit and rot and fester and fall apart. Is saving bad? No. We talked about it last week, making plans. God wants us to make plans. God wants us to be good stewards of what he has given us. But we are talking about saving with a plan and purpose. He says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. You are trying to use things of the world to satisfy and bring you comfort in the days when you don't even know if you're going to get tomorrow. Now, I'm not going to try and tell you that money doesn't matter, that it doesn't matter if you save, it doesn't matter if you spend, that money really isn't all that big of a deal, because it is. It's a big part of our lives. But how important we make it and what we do with it, how it drives us, how much we depend on it and let it dictate our lives and relationships can reveal that ultimately we trust in that more than God. We value money and the perceived security it can provide more than God. Which is funny because all of our money says what? In God we trust. But we live as if we trust in the money and not God. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. A rich man's wealth is a strong city with high, powerful walls in his mind. It's not real because we know clothes go threadbare. Technology becomes obsolete. Recessions happen. Stock markets crash. If your security 
if your rest and comfort is tied to your finances and personal wealth, what's going to happen to you and your sanity and your joy and your soul when it falls apart? Then what are you going to do? You can't take it with you, is what James says and what Proverbs says. It's of no use to you beyond this world. Best case scenario, you are a true Christian who has put their faith in Christ. You died with some wealth wealth left unspent. And somehow you get to bring it with you to heaven. Revelation 21, in describing the new city that God's people will dwell in forever, John says the streets of that city was like pure gold, like transparent glass. So best case scenario, you die, you show up in heaven with a few pounds of concrete, hoping to maybe pave a, pave a side street of heaven. Instead of being one of these unrighteous rich who have hoarded and kept things like a dragon in his cave till they rot and fall apart, Scripture will tell us over and over again, be generous, because your God is generous. Proverbs 22.9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Bountiful eye is generous way of looking at the world. It is actively looking for opportunities to be generous. That person is blessed. Not just it's an opportunity fell into my lap so I cut a check, but rather I want to actively seek out opportunities to give and serve and care and be generous. Generosity is a way for us to be lights that point people to God. By being good stewards of what he has given us, we are able to show people our God is generous himself. If you've been blessed by God with wealth, amen. You've been given a very practical, tangible way to be a blessing to other people. Are you taking advantage of that? God wants rich Christians to do more than just cut checks, though. By, but starting with that, but being generous with your finance is a way to reflect God to the world. But it's not just, I can give here, I can give here. But rather, I want to serve, I want to care, I want to be invested in the people of, that God has put in my life. Be generous, yes, in how you give. And I'm not talking about even just giving to church. Yes, give to the church. Yes, if you are a member or regular tender of CF, that is how we continue to go forward. That's how bills are paid and salaries are paid, and we're able to do ministry by the giving that we receive on Sundays. Yes, give to your local church, but not just here. Be generous in giving to people and organizations who are focused on serving the poor and the oppressed, who are doing gospel work throughout our city, throughout our country, throughout our world. Be generous with your money. Be generous with your abilities. Be generous with your time. These are things that we have available, and when we are generous with them, when we give of ourselves in any of those ways, we are reflecting God and his generosity to this world. Jump back into James 5. In verse 4, it says, Behold, the wages of the laborers you, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Not only are the people James is writing about hoarding and keeping their riches as if it's going to save them sometime, the way they got it, he also is condemning. They've not been honest in dealing with others. The desire to gain and gather supersedes the relationships with people, honesty and kindness. Going so far as to be a fraud, a cheat, a liar, to take advantage of others. And in doing these things, in taking advantage of people, it has not gone unnoticed or ignored by God. The cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. There are many names for God in the Bible, and each of them reveals different aspects of his character and person, that he is all these things all the time. The Lord of hosts, Sabaoth, is the Lord of armies. 
the Lord Almighty in some translations, as in all-powerful. He is seen as the commander of a legion of angel warriors. I think it's telling that it's not the meek suffering servant or the slain lamb that, slain lamb that James references here when he talks about the cries of the harvesters. No, he talks about the almighty God, the God of angel armies who hears these cries and will respond. As Jesus told the crowd, what you did to the least of me, uh, what you did to the least of these, you did it to me. He identifies with those who need protection because God is in control of all things. He is Lord Almighty. And one day, yes, there will be this final battle, but it will not be this 30-minute CGI-looking war between angels and demons. Jesus shows up, and he opens his mouth. He speaks a word, and the battle is done because he is all-powerful, almighty. Well, it may look too often like the rich can do what they want and buy themselves out of any issue they encounter. It seems like they always get away with everything. We have to know and trust that our God sees everything and that all people will give an account for their actions here one day before God. Our God is not just the God of armies. He is also the God of justice, and he will have his perfect justice always. This way of living that James is talking about, of engaging in business and dealing with people in a fraudulent way, it is driven, he says, by a desire for luxury and self-indulgence. Again, it's not bad to want nice things or to have nice things. But as we memorize this morning, what does your heart say? What's actually driving you toward these things? It's about the heart. God sees our heart. He knows our heart, and he wants our hearts to want him above everything else, to long for him and desire him, not just the blessings he may give to us. James talks about living in luxury and self-indulgence. It sounds a whole lot like the wisdom of the world we saw in chapter 3. Full of jealousy and selfish ambition, disorder, and every vile practice. Again, money is not, and I'm going to bang this drum over and over again because I want you to hear it. Money is not evil in and of itself. It is the combination of money with our own sinful desires that cause the problems. Just like when James talked about our tongue. The tongue isn't any more wicked than any other body part given to you, but it can do great damage and evil because it, out of it flows the words of your heart. Money can be used for real good, can do great things, can be a help and a way to reflect God to the world, or it can be used to build yourself up, exalt yourself, and along the way hurt and take advantage of and destroy those around you, those who are innocent, who have, nothing, who have done nothing wrong other than getting in the way of your own selfishness. We've spent this year memorizing verses and passages. And I tell you every so often as we study different books of the Bible, I always, I'll say, man, that's a, that's a good verse to, to highlight, to remember. As we walk through Scripture together, there's certain ones that, man, like, you should really commit that to memory. You should really know where that one's found. I'm going to guess there are very few people here that have any part of James 5, 1 through 6 memorized not a passage that's going to end up on a t-shirt or a coffee cup. No one's running out to get James 5, 1 through 6 tattooed on their arm. Brothers and sisters, heed the words of James here. Pay attention to the warnings he gives. Because it is easy to get sucked into the gravitational pull of money and wealth and finances. 
when you find yourself consumed and immersed in its orbit, everything will fade away. And your own drive and ambition will be far greater towards something that is ultimately going to fail you. And that's the problem. This drive to gain more, collect more, want more, it's never going to satisfy. You will feast and you will still be hungry. You will drink of the finest wines and champagnes and you will still thirst. Enough will be a never-ending pursuit and it will always leave you dissatisfied and discontent with the life you live and the world God has created. I hope that these warnings from James challenge you to check your motives within your own heart. Be honest with you and God about why you do what you do, how you spend and save and why. I hope these warnings cause you to sit with your budget and to consider how you spend what God has loaned you. If you want a good idea of where your heart really is or where your treasures are laid up, take your budget and walk through it. Where does your money go? In today's world, where every forecast about everything is doom and gloom, whether it's economics or politics or environment, in the midst of perpetual bad news, accumulating wealth seems like this safe bet, this safe place, this comfort. Everything else might be turned sideways, but I have my money, so I'll be okay. But it flies away in a moment's notice. I read that quote from John Calvin, who expressed, I believe rightly, in that this passage is a, an encouragement for the believers. Because it helps, us to re, helps to remind us that those who have gone about acquiring wealth dishonestly and using it in a sinful manner will meet their judgment. And those who have been stepped on and crushed along the way by these people will be cared for and protected by God. These words from James also serve to remind us it is not the person with the most commas in their bank account that wins in the end. It is not the person who has seen it all, done it all, bought it all, consumed it all, who is in actually in control of this world. No, it is the God who made it all, knows it all, sees it all, is in control of it all, who has the final word in this world. His judgment and his justice will be carried out. And even though in these days that we walk this earth, it often seems like the golden rule is not treat others how you want to be treated, but rather the golden rule has become whoever has the gold makes the rules. It seems like money can buy anything, can handle anything, and get you in and out of anything, but on that day of judgment, it will not matter how much money is in the bank, what your credit score is, or what kind of car you carry. The only thing that will determine your eternity looks like, what your eternity looks like, is your standing, your relationship, your trust and faith and hope in Jesus Christ. For the person who made this life about themselves and how much they could acquire, how much faith they put in their currency, when the party is over, your eternity will be bleak. You've laid up for yourself treasures on earth, and it is all fading away. But for those who have invested in their future, their eternal future, who laid up treasures in heavens, there is an eternity waiting for you, where you will want and need for nothing. Your existence, your joy, your satisfaction, the longings of your soul, that thing that everyone's trying to fill with more stuff, that longing of your soul will be satisfied by God himself. The greatest treasure you can have, the thing more beautiful, more valuable, more satisfying than anything else this world can offer is to live in a right relationship as a child of God with God himself. 
And that does not come from buying your way into some secret club. It comes by admitting your need for a Savior, believing Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins in your place and choosing for him to be not only your Savior, but your Lord and King, the one who is in control of your life, the one who leads you, the one who guides you, even when it comes to your finances. The 80, 90, 100 years that we have here on earth, It's nothing in comparison to the days of eternity set before us. So what are you investing in? What are you preparing for? Where is your heart? May it ever be for the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. easy for us to gather and to say, yeah, money doesn't matter. Just want to be about Jesus. It is hard to live that out at times. We are so inundated all of the time with voices. This world is so noisy and loud, convincing us that we need more, convincing us that we want more. It is constantly challenging us. Don't be content. Don't stay where you are. Don't be be content and satisfied with what you have, but want more. Need more. Get more. God, if we're going to be people who have discontentment in our hearts, let that discontentment be a holy one. Be a discontentment for our relationship with you. Let us want more of you. Let us need more of you. Let us crave and desire more of you in our lives. We know where security is. We know where rest is. We know where truth is. We know where a firm foundation is. It is in you. It is not in this in this world. It is not in the things that are falling apart. It is not the things that man has made, but what you have made, what you have given us, a relationship with you. God, as you provide for us, as you care for us, give us hearts to to be good stewards of what you have given us. Lord, help us to not selfishly hoard and acquire just for the sake of acquiring. Help us not to find our security in our bank accounts, but in you and trusting and knowing that you are the one to provide, to seek after you above everything else, knowing that you're going to take care of us. And as you take care of us, as you watch over us and provide for us, help us again to be good stewards of those things. Help us to have a plan and purpose. Help us to use our money, use the money you have given us, that you have loaned to us. Help us to use it well, to be lights that shine brightly for you. Help us to be generous because you are generous. Help us to care for others because you care for us and you care for others. Help us, Lord, even in those places where we think, I'll be generous when I get more stable. I'll get generous when I have more. I'll get generous when I can give more. What's more? God, help us to realize more is is a pipe dream. Enough is a figment of our imaginations. God, help us to be generous with what you have given us. Not only our money, but our our time, our talents, our abilities. 
even just our presence with another person. God, you've given us these warnings. James has given us these warnings about what can happen and how money can corrupt, how it can seep in and be fuel to the fire of our evil desires. Lord, help us to have a right and good understanding of how to best serve you and glorify you and care for this world with what you have provided for us. God, you have made us to be the lights of the world. Help us to do that even with the way that we budget, even with the way that we spend and the way that we save. Help us to live like people who trust in the God who is in control of all things and all time. We pray these things because you are big and awesome and good and for us and not against us. We pray these things because of you. Amen.